This morning we will read together from Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 20, the last verses of this prophecy and the text for the message this morning. Zephaniah chapter 3, starting at verse 14, you can find that on page 790 in the Pew Bible. After the promise of conversion of the nations, renewing work of God, we read in verse 14, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord." Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the prophecy of Zephaniah chapter 3 is for us who feel overwhelmed. Us who feel overwhelmed, maybe endless streams of deadlines or economic pressures or negative thoughts in our hearts and minds, fear of failure, temptations, habitual sins, discomfort, pain, grief and frustration. Although sometimes it might feel like everyone else is fine and we're the only ones bearing these burdens, statistics suggest that one-third of Canadians of all ages are suffering extra anxiety and worry and sorrow and stress and loneliness as a result of these immense pressures in their lives. But who can we trust to share our burdens with? Is there anyone who could truly love us unconditionally, even if they knew who we were? Does the God who let such suffering happen really care about us? The Lord's voice in Zephaniah assures us that the Lord sees us in our suffering. He hears our cries. He cares. The gospel his promises in Zephaniah are that the Lord, your mighty King, is in your midst and he takes away all your fears. We'll see that he restores his church with power and he rejoices over his children with gladness. And the, the first point is the first part of the text and the last part and then the center of the text is the theme of the second point. 
If you look at your Bible, if you look at the text, you can see that the Lord addresses his promises to the church that he calls the daughter of Zion, Israel, and Jerusalem. The promise of our text was first given to faithful believers in Judah who were descendants of Israel, named, uh, the name given to Jacob, the patriarch, and they worshipped at the temple in Jerusalem, which was on Mount Zion. But as we saw in the verses before our text, Zephaniah 3, verses 9 to 10, and as we sing in Psalm 87, the Lord promised that the day would come when he would gather people from all nations and he would count all of them as, as children of Zion, as those born in Zion. In Galatians 4, verses 21 to 31, the Holy Spirit explains how Christ fulfilled the symbols of Mount Sinai and Jerusalem. He became the new and living way through which the people of the new covenant could join the Old Testament covenant people as part of the bride of Christ, which is called the New Jerusalem that we will sing about in Revelation 21, the Jerusalem that is above. Although our text speaks in the first place about Judah in the time of Zephaniah, God's promise that he would restore the fortunes of his people is a promise that is fulfilled many times throughout history until it is finally fulfilled in its complete form in that glory of heaven. We are a part of that story today. And our Lord addresses, when he addresses the daughter of Jerusalem, or uh, Israel, or, or Zion, in this prophecy, the Lord is speaking to us today. The first thing that God reveals in, in his, is his promise to restore our fortunes, like we read in verse 20, is that he would take away all the punishments that we deserve. He'd clear away our enemies. That's in verse 15. Well, the first fulfillment of that prophecy took place when God brought an end to the suffering of the Jews who were mourning for the festival because they had been brought into exile. After around 70 years of exile in Babylon, the Lord fulfilled this promise. He gathered his people again. He changed their reproach into shame. He changed their reproach and shame into praise and renown in all the earth. In this gracious work, the Lord reveals how he intended to restore the fortunes of everyone who believes in him. The Lord we worship is the judge of all judges. He is the one who is powerful to forgive the sins of those who rebel against him. He can wash you clean in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He promises to wash you clean in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He restores our name and our reputation as citizens of his eternal kingdom when we are overwhelmed by our sins, when we are overwhelmed by sorrows in this life, we can find comfort in that promise of God to, to love us, to wash us clean, to take away our judgments, to give us peace with him in Jesus Christ. God promised that his Wrath against the covenant people and their sins would subside. He would gather his church from the remnant out of the grasp of their oppressors. He would save the lame, we read. He would gather the outcast and restore the fortunes of the faithful. 
Although the language that Zephaniah uses again is closely connected to the gathering of the remnant of faithful Jews from exile in the dispersion. The prophecy also speaks to us of the general ingathering work of all who are counted as the daughter of Zion, including those from other nations. God restores the fortunes of His church not only by forgiving us and removing our shame, but also by gathering His church together. The communion of saints, the loving service of brothers and sisters in, in, here in, in the Emmanuel congregation, it's a, a clear fulfillment of Zephaniah's prophecy, which our Lord Jesus told the world He would fulfill when He brought in sheep from from other folds to become members of His body. The Lord restores His church with mighty power by bringing people like, like us with so many different backgrounds and so many different opinions, bringing us together under that one statement of faith in our triune God. You can see that God has given you His Holy Spirit when you join in God's restoring work by promoting peace and unity in His church, the church He's gathered from all nations. And the gospel message is that by dwelling in our midst and by bringing Christians together to support one another, the Lord shows His compassion to those who are mourning and sad in this life. It's very striking when we read our prophecy that the Lord cares about the fact that some people are mourning because they are unable to celebrate the festival. The word festival is not the same one that's usually used to speak about the Old Testament feasts like Passover or the Feast of Ingathering, but it's a more general word to talk about any family or community celebration with a banquet. A part of restoring the fortunes of His people is ensuring that we all enjoy the festivities. Just like our Lord Jesus displayed at the wedding feast in Cana in John 2, where He changed the water into wine with the sole purpose of revealing that it's God's desire to see His people celebrating together. The Lord continues to lead us in this restoring work. This, in the practical outworking of our spiritual unity. When we, ha- when, we, when we seek to ensure that all of our brothers and sisters have the opportunity to join in with us when we have reasons to celebrate. A simple thing as inviting a person or a family without many family and friends to a party or to a social event, that's the work of the Holy Spirit who is restoring our fortunes to walk in a Christ-like way to bring joy to God's people, to one another, to bring us back to the way that He made us. Well, this focus on the restoration of the well-being of all God's people is further elaborated on in our text when, our, when the Lord, our mighty King, announces that He will bring an end to those who suffer reproach from oppressors. Those who are lame, who cannot walk on their own. Those who are cast out from the circles of the people the world renowns as as popular. The Lord is seeing the weak. The Lord is seeing those who are unable to walk in their own strength. When our Lord Jesus came, 
he announced himself to be the great physician who would bring healing, who would bring, bring healing to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. We read about that in Luke chapter 4. We can see that the Holy Spirit now continuing to, to bring this promise to reality in our own church, in our own congregation, when we show compassion to the vulnerable, to the weak, to the outcast, when we show love for the displaced and the lonely and concern for all the neighbors in their different circumstances. You see, brothers and sisters, this is the Lord restoring the fortunes of his church. Christ's compassionate heart reflected in the members of his body epitomizes the promise of the Lord gave in Zephaniah concerning the benefits of having the Lord, our mighty King, dwelling right in our very midst. And that Lord, we read, is rejoicing over his children with gladness, like we see in the second point. The central theme of Zephaniah, our text, Zephaniah 3, it's found right in the center of our text. It's repeated many times. The Lord's announcement that He is in the midst of His church. He is in the midst of His church, which He has washed clean in Christ's blood, in which He has set free from the oppressor's strength and power, the church in which He is dwelling by His Spirit, leading us to bring joy to one another. The Emmanuel, God with us, promise that characterizes the entire history of redemption is something we know very well. When we hear the Lord, our mighty King, is in our midst, we, we, we remember what God revealed when he, he came down after the fall in paradise to speak to Adam and Eve when he dwelt in the midst of a very sinful people in the tabernacle and in the temple, when he gave his law, when he came down in the flesh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came down to earth. Christmas is the celebration of the Son of God taking on our human flesh, coming down into our world in fulfillment of the promised restoration of that fellowship that God had with his people in paradise. Jesus Christ is the mighty King, our Lord, who is promised in our text. He is the one foreshadowed by King David and his descendants, the one who surprised the world by coming down into the world, not being born in a palace or in a capital city, but in the stable area of an inn where there was really no room for him. He is that lowly and gentle king riding on the foal of a donkey prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9. He is the king who is recognized as the king of Israel by Nathanael, but rejected by his people who, who put the sign on top of his cross, mocking his claim to kingship. Even though, even as, he was giving his life for the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Christ showed himself to be that eternal king, the true and eternal king. When he, when he rose from the dead, he conquered death. And he, he was crowned as king in his, in his ascension. And he sits on his eternal throne. This is the king 
promised in Zephaniah, the king who, who came down to dwell in our midst. And even after his ascension, he sent the Holy Spirit. Zephaniah points to the, the beautiful promise of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, comes down to dwell in the hearts of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Both Christmas and, and Pentecost direct our attention forward to the day described in Revelation 21. When again we read, God will make his dwelling among people in that eternal kingdom of peace. The new Jerusalem will descend from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. For these events fulfill the Lord, our mighty King's promise to dwell with us. The words that we read in the final verses of Zephaniah's prophecy. But when we look at the words of these prophecies, we find a description, maybe some of the most beautiful words of love that we can find to describe God's coming down to be with us. It's one of the most special gems of the entire scriptures, our text today. Zephaniah describes the descent of the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord, our divine, our mighty king. Describes that descent in vivid colors by picturing it as a parent coming to comfort a little helpless child. The words, you can read them there together in verse 17. The words give a picture of a little helpless baby lying in a crib, maybe experiencing the pain of hunger or loneliness, and then the parent comes into the room and, and looks down into the crib. Although the parent is a, a mighty warrior, you can imagine the, the mighty king walking in with his swords and armor still clanging against his, uh, his legs, a king who has just destroyed all the enemies in a complete destruction. The mighty one's eyes as he walks in are soft and kind and full of love toward that little helpless child in the crib. We read of a description where gladness fills the parent's heart to see the child. We read a picture of a, a mighty king and warrior now smiling with joy as he, as he looks at his child lying there so helpless. Hearing the child cry, perhaps complain, that parent soothes her, assures her there is no longer anything separating them from one another. For he has removed everything that could make his child afraid. The Lord, our mighty King, exalts over his child with loud singing like, like a parent who is proud to see his, his child giving their first smile. The comforting promise of this prophecy is that we are that child. And the mighty creator of heaven and earth who rids the earth of, of everything that can separate us from his love, he is our loving heavenly father. Just as God himself looked down upon the Son he sent into the world to, to be born in the humiliation in the stable in the town of Bethlehem. So God looks down upon all those who are united to his Son by true faith. Christ is one 
with those who believe in Him. We are identified together with Christ by faith. God looks upon us as He looks upon His only begotten Son, just like Mary looked down upon her firstborn Son in the manger, whom she knew to be the Son of God, just like we may have had the opportunity to look down upon covenant children who receive the promises of being adopted as God's children. Zephaniah helps us to understand how we can look at our God, mighty in power, the great judge of all the earth, how we can look at him who has become our father through Jesus Christ. And the picture we get in verse 17 is not a picture of a demanding father with a list of things that we have to do in order to please him and get his approval. He isn't a fickle father whose mood and behaviors are impossible to predict. He isn't a cold father who lets us cry ourselves to sleep. He isn't a critical father who rebukes us every time he talks to us. He isn't a weak father who is unable to keep us safe. He isn't an absent father who hardly knows us. He isn't a worthless father that no one respects, not at all. Look at the verse. He is almighty and powerful. He is holy in his majesty, just in the world and extremely merciful to undeserving sinners. Our Heavenly Father is faithful to His church through the ages, forgiving our sins and and protecting us from the evil, and He delights in our well-being, not only the Jews so many years ago, but all the way through the generations right down to today, to we as people. Then we see there's nothing, nothing we need to fear. When the Lord, your mighty King, descends to dwell with you, it is said, fear not, let not your hands grow weak. Do not let despair hinder you in your task. As the Apostle Paul urges us in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything. Present your requests, your prayers to God who hears. We may still be hearing the taunts of God's enemies. We may be feeling the heat of their attacks. We may be struggling with the difficulties in our lives, but the gospel is the Lord, the King, the Mighty One is standing up in our midst. He is singing a song of His love for you. He is singing how He protected you. He is singing with exultation about what He has made you to become. Fear not, O children of God. For though he punishes the arrogant who persist in their sins of rebellion, the holy God has washed away the sins of those who humble themselves before him, who believe in his Son, Jesus Christ. You can hear his voice. Shh. God has done everything. His children do not need to fear. And they see how very weak and helpless we are. You don't have to be good enough. God knew you were a sinner when he sent his only son to die for you. In his 
exultant delight. He longed to give you rest and peace from evil. He delights in you. The Lord's unconditional love washes over us. Even as we hear it again today, it washes over us. His chosen, his precious people. We sang in Psalm 149 of his pleasure to be our God. So we do not listen to voices that tell us that we are not worthy of his love. Your heavenly Father loves you through his Son, Jesus Christ. You who feel you can never do enough. You helpless baby in the faith. You who cry for peace with God and with your neighbor. He loves you in Christ. That's the gospel message of Zephaniah 3. The Lord, your mighty King, comes down to dwell in our midst. Let that sink in a bit. Let, a, let that sink in. Let Christmas, the message of Christmas, sink in. And then you see why we sing. We sing of God's peace. He lets us rejoice in Him with all our heart. And, and that's how the, the text began. It began with that call to the faithful. You know why He calls us to, to sing aloud? He tells us to shout, to, to rejoice, to exult with, with all your heart. Just as it was when God first created the world and he gave the woman to the man. Once the Lord has restored the fortunes of his remnant church after her time of suffering, we sing in eager delight as we seek to, to manifest the same love to, to all those around us, to the burdened, to the lonely, to the weeping, to the outcast. The prophet uses several words that, that point to an expression of a, a deep and a heartfelt joy that, that actually overflows in songs and shouts. A, a joy that begins by our union with Christ in our, in our very hearts. Comfort for today. Bright hope for tomorrow. Do you see what God has done for you who believe. Do you see how he is with us? Are you singing? Even in the midst of the tears. Are you joining in with that celebration and that festivity? Just because you know that we as his people are in his hand. In life and in death. By God's grace, we may join that mighty throng of those who are coming from the east and the west to take their seats at the banquet, now clothed in the white robes of Christ's righteousness, now grown up to walk in communion with our Creator, the King who came to serve, the mighty warrior who sat down beside us when we wept, the Lord who loved us through it all. Jesus says, come to him, all you who are weary, and you will find rest for your souls. Amen. We'll now sing together another psalm. Very similar theme combines the strength and the might of our God and Father, and also his work to bring us joy and singing. 
We can be still and know that he is our God. Psalm 46, we'll sing stanzas 1, 2, and 5, standing if you're able to stand.